0: The following message is brought to you by Morgan Hill Bible Church. For all things MHBC, connect with us on social media and check us out online at mhbible.org. And I would encourage you to open up your Bibles. We are finishing up today the book of Ephesians. So if you've been journeying with us this fall, you know you've we started this in September, and today we are wrapping up. So if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to open them to the book of Ephesians. we're going to be in chapter six starting at verse 10. Uh, you can also grab your phones or the text is on the worship guide that you received, hopefully when you came in this morning. Well, If you know anything about me and if we've talked at all, you know that I love watching bike racing. I not only love to ride my bike, I love to watch it as well. You've maybe have flipped through the channels before, like in the summer, and been like, why are these like TV shows showing these random people in spandex riding on roads on the other side of the world? Who watches this stuff? Well, I do. Now, I'm, I'm that guy. I'm the one who watches that stuff. And I love to watch it, whether it's road cycling or mountain biking. like I, I just really enjoy watching it. And I came across a couple years ago a unique bike race that I had never heard or never seen before, both fascinated by. And it's called the Dutch Headwind National Championships. Right, now here, here's how this works, is they watch the forecast normally throughout the winter, because that's when the biggest storms roll in. It's held outside Amsterdam, I believe, in the Netherlands. And when they see the storm rolling in that they think will be the biggest storm of the year, they schedule a bike race. And they limit the entries and everyone has the same kind of bike. It's kind of like the commuter bike that you would see people riding around Europe. And so it's not some aerodynamic thing, but you sign up and the course is very straightforward. You go like in a straight line right into the wind, right into the wind. It's not on the windiest day of the year. In fact, I looked it up the last time they had this race last year. They had to cancel it halfway through because it got too windy, all right, so get this. So, so you have these guys who are former cyclists, former pros often, who are riding as hard as they can. And the videos are hilarious because they're going as hard as they can and they're hardly even moving forward because the wind is just so strong against them. Now, if you get out and ride your bike at all here in the South Valley, you've probably experienced this before. You've gotten on your bike and ridden one way and been like, I am flying today. I am so fast. And then you turn around and you go, Nope is that wind just blasts you right in the face, right? And it, it just slows you down. Isn't that how life feels sometimes? Like no matter how hard you work, no matter what the effort you're putting in, there are just things that are pushing back, forces opposing you. And it seems like everything that could go wrong is just pushing back. And no matter how hard you try, you're working with all your might and it seems like you're just barely moving forward. See, the reality is, and we're going to talk about this today, as Paul closes this book in Ephesians, is that there is more going on in our world than just what meets the eye. And in our Western world, we focus so much on the material and just what we can see. But Paul has talked about this throughout the book of Ephesians, and he ends this with an encouragement and to focus on and to look at the spiritual battle that is taking place in our world and whether we live day in and day out thinking about it or acknowledging it all, there is more going on than just what we see. There is a spiritual battle at take at place in our world of which we are a part. And these forces would oppose us. They would stop us from becoming who we want to be in Jesus, from living the life that God would have for us. And so as Paul closes this book, he gives them instructions and directions and encouragement as they think about this spiritual battle that they have to face each and every day. And so we're going to look this morning in Ephesians 6 at three keys to our spiritual battle that we face today and what God gives us to fight the battles each and every day of our lives. Verse 10 says this, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, The first key to our spiritual battle is to rely on God's power. To rely on God's power. Right? He, he highlights there how there is a battle going on. And so often, I think, in, in our world today, that we find that, like, a reaction to this realization of spiritual warfare, too many times we go to one of two extremes. Like, too many times we're just like, ah, nope, that doesn't exist. I'm going to ignore it. I'm going to act like it's not out there. Well, that's just kind of foolish because the Bible clearly talks about it, right? But we have this idea of, I'm just going to ignore it. On the other side, we have people who, understanding this, start to see everything as like demonic attack, right? They're like, uh, I went to go to church this morning. My car battery was dead. It must be a demonic attack. And it's like, well, no, stupid. You left your lights on all night. Like that is nothing, right? Or, or I was late to church today. It, might, it must be Satan oppressing me. Well, no, you should have left like more than a minute before church started and you would have gotten here on time. It's not demonic oppression that you hit the red light, right? So we need to find this middle view, not ignoring it, but not obsessing and, and qualifying and giving everything over to it. But it is this reality, right? Verse 12, that we don't just wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and authorities, cosmic powers, and spiritual forces of evil. Paul here is not necessarily trying to delineate or give out certain ranks, but he's these kind of comprehensive terms. He's picking all of the phrases that in their culture that they would have used for evil spiritual forces and recognizing that they are at play in our world. And what he says here in verse 11, I think is is helpful to us, is this idea that we need to stand against the schemes of the devil. The schemes of the devil. See, when we come under spiritual attack, it won't always be obvious. It won't be, be obvious the devil is scheming around us and how to entrap us, how to ensnare us, how to cause us to stumble. See, in our world, we have all sorts of different schemes that people try and play to trick people, right? Like if someone just walked up to you and was like, give me your money, you'd probably be like, no. All right, so what do they do? They scheme to get people's money. They'll send you emails claiming to be the prince of Nigeria, and they need your money to get their father back on the throne, right? One of the longest running scams out there. Literally, as I was thinking about this message yesterday, in the span of an hour, I got three text messages One of them said this, you know, I don't keep up with the news, but my dad just told me the interest rates dropped today to a new low. Here's the site he sent me to refinance my house with a link. Like, yeah, I'm not going to click on that from some random number who's never sent me anything before. Or two messages that your phone bill has been paid. Here is a little gift for you. Yeah, you don't get gifts for paying your bills. Like, I'm not going to click on that, right? But they're hoping that's a scheme, right? Hoping someone will fall for it. My favorite scheme that that I had in interaction with someone is I don't normally answer those telemarketer calls with the random numbers, but I was in my car, I think, so I didn't see who was calling, and I answered it, and it was someone calling to collect my debt on my my non-paid student loans, right? And they were very adamant right, and threatening that they would take my car, they would seize my bank accounts, they would take my house. Like, I'm like, you can take my wife, my they're going to take everything from me. And I just kind of would just ask open-ended questions, like, you know, kind of having fun with this. And then after a few minutes, I said, so I have one more question for you. How do you collect for me if I've never taken out a student loan in my life? Suddenly it got really quiet the other end and they're like, oh, goodbye. And they just hung up the phone, right? Because it's a scheme to get people to fall for See, when you come under a spiritual attack, it normally doesn't come with like a bright flashing neon sign and Satan saying, we are going to try and attack you right now. Be cautious. But no, we need to be aware and to be alert because the devil is scheming. He may be defeated and know that his defeat is coming, but he's not stupid. But there are oftentimes similarities and there's patterns of how oftentimes these schemes of the devil come to play in our world and in our lives. One of the patterns I think is is something like this, that they often start, the schemes of the devil often start with a wound, with a hurt, with a pain in our lives. Now these happen to all of us, right? God does not protect us from each and every hard circumstance in life. And all of us have wounds, all of us have pain what happens is, is that all of us experience some wound, some pain in our life, but then after we experience it, how Satan will come about and scheme is that the second thing that Satan will do is he will lie to us, right? The Bible says that Satan is a liar and the father of lies, and he will lie to us about this wound in our life. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Satan is the liar and the father of lies. So Satan will lie to us. Well, this is why that happened. This is why this circumstance happened to you. And what oftentimes is when we hear those lies in our lives, what will happen is upon believing those lies, we will then make vows. We will make promises with ourselves. And oftentimes these promises are phrases that say something like, I will never, because of the lie that we believed. So we'll say things like, I will never, trust someone again. I will never be honest with someone. I will never blank. You can fill in the blank. The the options are limitless depending on the lie that we have believed. And too often we make these promises based on the lies that Satan has told us and that we've fallen to believe. It's the scheme of the devil. And because of understanding that the devil is at work and he's scheming, it's necessary for us to rely on God's power. Notice there in verse 10, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, not, not how good you are, not how strong you are. Be strong in the Lord because of how strong he is. Verse 11, put on the whole armor of who? of God. It's God who equips you. It's God who strengthens you. It's in God whose strength that we can stand as Christians. He's not saying, "You better try your best. It's all up to you." He's saying, no, 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 no. Remember, it's all up to God. Remember God's strength, God's power. I find it interesting, but so appropriate here, that notice in, in Paul's words, in the words of these verses, there's no panic. There's no hysteria. There's no like running around like, oh my goodness, there's evil forces in the world. That's all like, ah, this is crazy. No, he's saying this is the reality. And so we have to stand firm with what God has given us. See, for Christians, when we realize that there is this world in which we live, that there are spiritual forces at work, but when we realize who Jesus is, who God is, we don't have to live in fear. In fact, as Christians, we shouldn't live in fear. and so we sung about it this morning, how we don't live in fear, recognizing who Jesus is. See, Paul has already written about this before, but we'll reference back to it. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 19 to 21, it says this, And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, get this, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. So Paul is saying all of these spiritual forces that would come and attack you, all of them that would scheme against you, even the devil himself, defeated by Jesus. He reigns and rules supreme over every single one of them for now and for ever. And so as Christians, we don't have to live in fear when we recognize who Jesus is. And talking about the spiritual world in 1 John, John says this in 1 John 4, 4, I love this. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. See, as Christians, when we recognize what's going on in our world, we can take comfort knowing that God is on our side. God is with us. The Holy Spirit lives and dwells each and every follower of Jesus Christ. And we don't have to live in panic, live in fear, understanding what's going on in our world. But we do, as he says, need to rely, need to stand firm, not in our own strength, but stand firm in the strength of what God himself gives us. He goes on and he he puts some more meat on the bones, if you would, to understand what it is to look like to stand strong in this battle. Verse 14, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. The second key to our spiritual battle is to understand your weapons or understand the tools that God has given us to fight the battles that we face each and every day. Now, we need to be careful here not to try and read too much into each and every like piece of armor and try and like, overanalyze what it means. The reality is that imagery like this is used in different places throughout the Scripture, and oftentimes some of the words are interchanged, right? So we don't need to to, to dissect it too much. But I think there are threads that run through this, that are helpful for us in thinking, what does God give us? What does God give us to fight these battles that we will face in our lives, that many of us face day in and day out? What has God given us to fight with? One of the themes that runs through this passage that God gives us to fight with is God gives us his truth. God gives us truth to combat the enemy. Notice he said the very first thing, having fastened on the belt of truth. The last thing, which is the word of God. See, if you try and fight off spiritual attack apart from scripture, you will lose. If you try and fight spiritual battles apart from scripture, we will lose. Now, think back, if you know the story, if not, I'll, I'll tell it to you, of Jesus's own life, right? When Jesus himself was about to go into ministry, he went and fasted for 40 days. And afterwards, the devil himself came and tempted him. How did Jesus resist the attack, the temptation of the devil? He did what? He quoted scripture to him, right? And then the devil misquoted scripture back to him. And what did Jesus do? He quoted more scripture back to him. Now, perhaps... If Jesus needed scripture to fight spiritual battles, just maybe we do as well. Just maybe. If Jesus himself needed to rely on God's word, maybe as his followers and as his children, that's true in our lives as well. Then we need to rely on scripture and God's truth. See, oftentimes, In spiritual attack and in spiritual warfare, we focus on our feelings rather than focusing on God's truth. We focus on how this makes us feel or how this makes us think rather than focusing on what God's word says and what the truth of scripture is revealed to to be. See, the reality is, if you depend on your feelings, here's the truth, your feelings will lie to you. Your feelings at times will lie to you. It will not tell you the truth about who you are and who Jesus is all the time. Your feelings will lie, which is why it's important for us to go to the real truth, God's word, the objective truth, and not just my truth, not just how I feel, but what is the truth? What does God's word say? As we go to God's word, it's how we fight the battles in our lives. A second way, a second theme running through here of fighting these battles is that of community, of the relationships of the church, of the family of God intertwined together to fight these battles that we face. See, when they talked about these imagery, this is clearly like battle warfare imagery. When they talked about this back then, their image of, of war wasn't like some sniper up on a hill like shooting people, but it was battalions engaged in warfare together. Even some of the, the weapons that are used are only good if there's other people next to you. They're, they're weapons that are used in groups, not just one person by themselves. See, this, one example of this is when we think of I'm talking about using a shield. Perhaps like me, when you think in our modern day world, when we think of a shield, we think of something like this. We think of Captain America and his shields, right? And that's a dangerous weapon in Captain America's hands, right? But it's good for him and it's just this small thing and it's, it's used for him by himself and, and he can use it. But in their minds back then, when they would have thought of what a shield looks like for one person to have a shield is not not that big of a deal, but shields were used only in the company of other people fighting together. And you can see a picture here. When a shield is used not by yourself, but with groups of people, It's as they stand side by side and behind each other that this shield became this force that would protect from all the attacks on any side that could come in. See, in spiritual attack, Satan will often try and isolate us. He will clip us off. He will pull us apart and he will separate us from others. He will get us alone. He will get us away from church, away from the family of God, out of the fellowship of others. And when we are alone is when we are often vulnerable. I think of the the shows that you watch on like Animal Planet or Discovery Channel Right, it talks about predators hunting, hunting animals that live in herds. And what happens? As long as an animal is part of the herd, they're safe. But what happens if they segregate one and they get one off by themselves and they isolate it? Some, somehow and now that animal is in grave, grave danger. Why? Because they are alone. It's the same for us in the body of Christ. Then when Satan attacks us, often how he will do it is he will try and isolate us away from others. See, community is a core value of our church, not just because we want you to have friends when you show up on Sunday, but community is a core value of our church because we believe that it's impossible to live the life that God wants for you apart from relationships with other Christians. We want this to be a place, not just where you come and listen to a sermon. If that's all this was, was just listening to a sermon and listening to some music, we could have all stayed home. We didn't need to be here. But why are we here? Why do we encourage us to gather together regularly for worship, to be together? It's because as the community of faith, as we build relationships, as God's church comes together, that we are strong, united together. Think of all of the imagery that Paul has used throughout this book of Ephesians to talk about the importance of the church, that it's in the church that only Jesus can be known in a unique way as the body of Christ comes together. And so it's important for us to have this community here where God has placed us, not to isolate ourselves, not to withdraw. And I think sometimes that's the biggest lie that we can believe is to isolate ourselves, to be like, well, you know what? No one would ever understand. No one has my struggles. No one's gone what I go through. And we can justify it in our own heads of why we need to withdraw when in reality, we're just lying to ourselves. Because there are people like you. There's people who have struggled. There's people who have walked through, and there's grace for each and every one of us here. That the community of faith that God has surrounded us with is so important as we fight the battles that God has in our lives. The third third theme that I see running through these is that the battle of spiritual attack, excuse me, is often a battle for our identity, It's often a battle for our identity. It goes to the core of who we are in Jesus and how we see ourselves. He talks about how we should put on the breastplate of righteousness, the righteousness that not that's our own good deeds, but whose righteousness are we to put on? We're to put on Jesus's righteousness, We have given him his sin. Jesus in return gives us his righteousness. We are now declared righteous, not because of what we've done, but because of who Jesus is and who we are in light of who he is. He also talks about, remember and put on the helmet of salvation. Salvation, this book has talked so much about the grace of God that is entirely undeserved that has been given to us. He talked in Ephesians 1, how we have been adopted into God's family, permanent, not just like I like you, come hang out with me, but I've adopted you. You're a part of my family forever. You get an inheritance. Nothing can change that in our salvation. And what happens in spiritual attack is sometimes we forget who we are and we forget whose we are. We forget who we are in Jesus. We forget that we are children of God, that we've been adopted into his family. And Satan would have us doubt our identity, our, our, our righteous standing before God. He would have us doubt our salvation. And so don't forget who you are. Don't forget who you belong to as a child of God, that you are his and that he will never leave you. And so we have these tools, the truth of God's word the community of believers that he's placed around us and our identity that's unshakable, that's been given to us from God, no matter how we feel, no matter what we struggle with, that we belong to him when we place our faith in Jesus. He closes this section by highlighting another thing. Verse 18, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance Making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. The third key to fighting spiritual battles is to practice desperation in prayer, to practice desperation in prayer. So we started by talking about how it's important for us to rely on God. Prayer is the evidence of our level of reliance upon God. If we say we rely on God and we don't pray, we don't rely on God. Prayer is how we express this reliance upon God. And as he summarizes this passage and talks about prayer, he, he really highlights a, f- a few different characteristics of prayer. First, he, he encourages us in verse 18 to pray constantly, right? To pray at all times. Now this doesn't mean that you like never leave your house and you sit down in your room and you like just are constantly sitting there praying out loud. No, that's it's not necessarily what he means, but it's this idea. And Paul put it in another passage. He said, pray without ceasing. What he's saying is prayer needs to just be a regular part of your life. Prayer needs to be a habit that as Christians, we have formed and happens throughout our lives. He's saying prayer is not just a thing you do when you wake up or when you go to bed, or when you eat your meals, although it's Certainly fine if you pray at those times. But that for Christians, prayer happens regularly, day in, day out, moment by moment, hour by hour throughout our lives. That prayer should be a habit. See, our life is primarily made up not of the choices we make, but of the habits that we've formed not the choices we make, but the habits we form. Most of your life is because you have formed those habits to do so. If you're an adult this morning, I bet no one cornered you this morning and made sure you brushed your teeth before you came to church today, because that's just a good habit that you formed. You didn't even think about it, you did it. Congratulations, you're adulting very well. Good job. But when you have kids, oh, it's not a habit for them, right? You gotta ingrain that habit. You gotta help them get through that habit. Why? Because that's how you mature. And what he's saying is part of maturing in Christ is that prayer becomes just a habit, a regular part of our life. So we don't wake up in the day thinking, should I pray or not today? But we just pray because it's what we do. We don't even have to think about it. It's such a regular practice and part of our life. So we pray constantly. The second thing that we should pray is we pray submissively. We pray submissive to God. He says here to pray at all times in the spirit. Now, what does he mean by in the spirit? He's not talking about that you pray in like some different language or you pray in a unique way. This is another way of phrasing, which the Bible has used in other places, to pray in the name of Jesus. It means that when we bring requests to God, we pray under his authority, submitting to his will. And we ask that everything that we pray for would be lined up to what he would have for us. It submits our request and say, we submit to you that we pray in the spirit, not for what I want, but for what you would want to be done. We pray submissively. Thirdly, we pray vigilantly. We pray vigilantly, notice there, pray with all prayer and supplication to that end, keep alert with all perseverance. It's like saying, wake up and stay awake. Recognize what's going on. I can't help as I read this passage and think about it. My mind goes back to the disciples. If you remember, Jesus took them up on a hill. He said, I'm greatly distressed. Distressed. Keep alert and watch and pray for me. And they fell asleep, right? They weren't keeping alert. They weren't understanding the magnitude of the situation. And Jesus is saying, as you recognize, this passage saying, as you recognize the world in which we live, the battle in which we find ourselves, it should motivate us, to pray, recognizing our desperate need for prayer in the world. First Peter 5.8 reminds us to be sober minded, to be watchful for your adversary. The devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. The reality of spiritual warfare and spiritual oppression should motivate us to pray, to keep alert, to be persevering in prayer. The fourth characteristic of Paul's prayer here is that we pray evangelistically. By evangelism, we mean we pray with others in mind that they would hear about Jesus and know the good news. If you know anything of Bible history or church history, I think sometimes we can just read through verses 19 and 20 and kind of shrug it off, but I think it's astounding. Let's read it again, verses 19 and 20, and pray, this is like a personal prayer request that he slides in, pray also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly, repeated that word again, as I ought to speak. Get this, the greatest missionary in the history of the world has a prayer request. And that's, would you pray for me that I would share the gospel with boldness? He's literally locked in prison. He's in chains because he shared the gospel. And he's saying, no, I still need prayer that I would be the one who's praying, who is sharing the gospel with boldness. See, evangelism is the front lines of spiritual warfare. And people are one to Jesus, not because of the sophistication of our arguments or how well we phrase things, but it's a spiritual battle. And so often, the starting point for us when it comes to evangelism needs to be prayer. That's where we have to find ourselves first. See, I think Paul, in asking for this prayer request, I think it shows that it's just a natural thing for all of us at times to feel timid, to feel scared, to feel nervous in sharing our faith. And I just want you to know if that's you, you're in good company because guess what? That's me too. Right? So, some people are like, wait, it's your job to get up front of people and talk about the Bible for a living. And you get nervous sometimes sharing your faith. I say, I do, because when I'm up here, I can say my thing and none of you talk back to me. It's great. There's no questions asked. I just have my thing. I talk and I sit down and I'm done for it. But when I'm talking to my neighbor and he asks a question, I actually have to answer him. Right? and I don't know what he's going to say. I don't know what he's going to push back. I have no idea. And that makes me uncomfortable. I get nervous sharing my faith with others. Does that mean I'm exempt from it? No. No, it means that I, like Paul, need to pray and ask others to pray for boldness in doing it. Because you're uncomfortable, just because you're nervous doing it, guess what? You're in the company of the apostle Paul, probably, and sharing your faith. That puts you in very good grounds. When I challenged you, as Anthony mentioned earlier, a couple weeks ago, i thinking of Christmas Eve and how God could use the Christmas services at our church to reach others for Jesus. I challenge us, if you remember, to start praying for five people to invite. And I ask you that not just because that seems like a nice Christian thing to do, but because that's where we really need to start. We need to start in prayer if evangelism is to take root in our lives that prayer should be such a regular practice and that we should pray with others in mind, not just for our own requests or own needs, but to look out and to pray, God, who have you put in my life? And God, would you give me boldness? Would you give me courage? Because I'm scared on my own. I'm scared, but I need your boldness to share with others how I should. One of the more well-known Christian books was written, I think over 300 years ago is a book called Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan, written, I believe, in the late 1600s. And it's this metaphor of a man journeying through life. And it's a cool story with all these different pictures and images. But I'll never forget, there's this this place in the the journey, in the valley of the shadow of death, that the the man Christian finds himself on this journey. He said, all the weapons of warfare that he had, none of them worked except for one. The one weapon that worked was prayer. See, no matter how dark the valley, no matter how desperate the situation that we find ourselves in, as children of God, we can always pray. We can always pray. And when we pray, the God who is over all powers, all rule, all authority, the God who is seated in heaven right now inclines his ear to us. He listens, he hears every cry from our hearts. Prayer is a powerful weapon as we fight the spiritual battles in our world. Paul closes his letter just with a few quick greetings. Verse 21, so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. He reminds them of this peace, this wholeness of life that is now found in relationship with Jesus, of the love that God has for them and this love that should be expressed to one another, and this grace this undeserved favor of God that has come on their lives and how as people, when we experience the grace of God, it should change everything in our lives. God, we do thank you for the grace that you have given to us, undeserved favor and love shown to us through your son, Jesus. God, we thank you that right now you sit on your throne and you reign supreme and victorious over all things. And God, we can read the end of the book. We know that that's how it will end as well, that you will win, you reign supreme. So God, we ask that you would empower us, that we would depend upon you for the battles that we face. God, I pray for anyone who's here today or listening right now, God, who's under spiritual attack in their lives today. God, may they, realize what it looks like to rely on you, to stand firm, to stand firm in your truth, to stand firm in the community of faith surrounding them, rooted on who we are in Jesus, and that we can always bring everything to you in prayer. that we thank you for the victory that we have because of what you have done for us. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thanks for listening. Continue the conversation with us on social media. Never miss a message and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes.